0: Good morning. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. We return again to the book of John after a bit of a hiatus. Uh, We come to the third chapter once again, and if you uh, have been with us, you know that we've reflected on Jesus, uh, uh, John rather, the Apostle John, who's writing his uh, reason for writing. He says at the end of the book that... uh, Uh, These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life in his name. And chapter three uh, tells us all about who Jesus is. It tells us about what it means to believe and what this eternal life is like. And we're going to see that especially here in verses 16 through 21 today. I'm going to read everything from verse one down through chapter 21, but again, we'll be focusing on verses 16 through 21 And uh, you might uh, note in your Bible, if you have one that's a red letter edition, a lot of uh, Bibles will have uh, these words in red. Uh, scholars debate whether these are the words of Jesus that he continues to speak to Nicodemus uh, or whether these are the words of the apostle John as he's reflecting on things later. And uh, I would simply say to you, I don't know uh, which category these words fall into. I tend to think that it's probably most likely that these are John's reflections later. But in one sense, it doesn't really matter because uh, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's given by inspiration of God. These are The words of Christ. So, whether it's words that he spoke to Nicodemus or whether these are words that he worked by the power of his spirit in the Apostle John, it's all true. And so, as we come uh, to this word today, we come to a supernatural revelation from God, uh, Jesus revealing himself to us. Uh, These words being breathed out uh, by the Spirit of God, even uh, as they have been given to us. So, we're going to pray and then we'll read. verses 1 through 23, as we look to the Lord who has spoken to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have uh, loved us. We thank you that you've loved us so much that you want to communicate to us. And we pray now that you would give us ears to hear so that we might hear the voice of our good shepherd from heaven. We thank you that you have given your Holy Spirit so that these words might be breathed out for us to read today. And we thank you that uh, just as Jesus blew uh, on his disciples and gave and bestowed the Holy Spirit, we thank you that you give that same spirit to us today. So we ask that you, triune God, would communicate to your people this day so that we might know that you are our God and that we are your people. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. This is God's word. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Thus ends this reading of God's holy word. We pray that he would write it on our hearts today and forever. On a muggy summer day, something like this, when I was a teenager, I was baling hay, and we were putting hay into the mow uh, as... Uh, others were working to see it gathered in the field and uh, around dusk we came out of the barn we had to go out to the field to get uh, one more load and we went we got the wagons and it took a little time and as we came back dusk had settled even more and I began to climb up into the hay on the elevator or the conveyor belt on the outside it wasn't running at this point but I was uh, walking up that to go into the hay mal, and my friend uh, went into the barn to turn on the light for the first time because we hadn't needed the light to be on and just as I came to the the small door that uh, went into the side of the barn he flipped the light on and uh, all of a sudden I froze because hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of bats saw one way out when the light had been flipped on going right through the door and I could feel the wind uh, from their wings Fluttering against my face and I was 12 feet in the air and there was nothing I could do to move backwards quickly enough. I was too high to jump. All I could do was hang on for dear life. And it only took a moment, but I, I still shake a little bit when I think about all of those bats flying right past my face. The only non-negative experience I had was there were no mosquitoes that I uh, faced at that particular moment. Everything else was horrendous about the whole experience. And you know what I learned in that moment? I learned that bats hate the light because they love the darkness instead. And it was a a rather terrifying moment and uh, I recovered and I'm still recovering from it. But you know, I've seen something that's even scarier through the course of life. As the years have gone on, over the last three decades, I've seen it's not only the bats that hate the light, but there, there are people who hate the light as well. And their desire is to flee from the one who is the light, even the Lord Jesus Christ. They turn and they run because they're so obviously uncomfortable with the guilt of their own sin and their desire to live another way. And this passage is written to teach us and to show us what it is that God has done and to reveal to us that this Jesus of whom John writes, the one that he heard with his own ears, is the true light that has come into the world. And people sit in darkness apart from knowing him. And my desire today is to persuade you as these verses teach to come to the light, to come to the light, whatever your station in life today is a good day to come to the light of Jesus Christ. Verse 21 tells us that whoever does what is true comes to the light and we'll explore more of what this means as we move forward, but we need to come to the light. Why? Well, it's because we're in darkness and it's because we're guilty And Nicodemus was wrestling with these realities as Jesus was speaking to him. And we saw there in uh, verse 14 that uh, Jesus was lifted up just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness uh, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then there's this reflection that comes for us in verses 16 and following to tell us what this life looks like. What is it that this faith looks like that leads to life? And here, faith is particularly equated with coming to the light. Faith is seen, and it's demonstrated for us here as coming to the brightness of the one who is the light himself. Now, as we unpack this passage, uh, what is it that God shows us to persuade us to come, to lead us out of darkness and into light? Well, we're going to see, first of all, here in verses 16 and 17, what it is that God has done. And then secondly, in the following verses, we'll see that there are two responses to uh, Christ, to the light. But first of all, we need to understand if we're going to come to the light, what it is that God has done. Why is it that we should believe? And it's laid out so clearly for us here in in what is undoubtedly the most famous verse in all of Scripture, maybe very dear to you in personal ways. And we're told of two things in particular that God has done for us here in verse 16. It says, for God so loved the world. God so loved the world. He he loved people who were in darkness. He loved these even who had rebelled against him. R.C. Sproul says that maybe this is the most misunderstood verse in the Bible as well uh, with this idea that, that God just uh, has, has loved everyone without any exception at all so that, that all would be saved. We see in the following verses that that's simply not the case. But the emphasis here on the depth of God's love, as Sproul says, is that God, God's love is so deep and so profound that he sent his only begotten Son. This is what motivates him to send his own son. It's the depth of the love that is in the heart of the triune God. He sees this world that is in need and in rebellion against him. And he sends his son on a rescue mission in order to draw people like you and me out of the gloom. To pull us out of the hopelessness. The depth of his love is an amazing thing. We see his love used or described mostly in chapters 13 through 17 in this book. And mostly there, the love that's spoken of is the love between the Father and the Son. We also see there the love that Jesus has for his disciples. But that's in the book of John, the bulk of the, the use of this term for love. But here in John 3.16, we see uh, simply the overflow from the heart of the triune God who declares to us that he has so loved the world that he would take this action to send his only son. And and what we see in this, in the depth of his love and the reality of, of darkness, is that it is not because God looked out there and said, you know, there are these lovely people that I would just long to get to know. No, it's in spite of our unloveliness. And it is because of the reality that God is love, as John communicates to us in John 4.16. That is the reason. And we see this in the Old Testament as well, as God speaks to his people. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, he, he asks them, uh, essentially, why do I love you? Well, it's not because you were more or greater or somehow more impressive. And the same is true for every single person here today. There's just nothing in you. Why does God love his people? Because God loves his people. In one sense, we will never know the depth of the answer to that question other than that God has revealed to us that he loves his people. So we're told here that God so loved uh, the world that he gave his only begotten son. We, we see the depth of it. And we also see that he, he so loved the world. And the, the impressive thing here is not that God looked and said, wow, it's a really big world. But it's that he looked and he said, it's a really bad world, as D.A. Carson says. What, what is so forceful about this verse and about the quality of God's love is The rebellion and the degradation and the sin and the corruption in people. But the Holy God looked upon us and for his own purposes saw fit to save. And he knew it had to happen through the provision of a sacrifice. And so we see the second thing that he does here in this verse it is that he gave his only son. He Poured out his love on us, not simply by speaking words, not simply by giving us a few gestures of his kindness, but he did this by giving his own son. And in giving his own son, uh, we, we see that there was a, uh, a cost to this. He's coming into hostile territory. Some of you uh, may remember the story of the Navy SEAL, uh, Robert O'Neill Uh, He was the man who uh, ended up being in the room with Osama bin Laden there in Pakistan and uh, was the man that put the bullet through his forehead. And uh, he, as a Navy SEAL, had been called on a number of dangerous missions over the years. And on this particular mission, those Navy SEALs knew that they would probably not make it home again. And as they uh, departed, they were able to look at each other in the eye with love and with compassion, but also with this profound sense that there's no way they were coming back. Well, you know the story. Uh, They did survive. And they all managed to get out alive and there was great rejoicing. But they said that the reason, he said that the reason he was willing to do this, he was willing to put himself in the place of his fellow Americans to help take out this darkness that was in the world. This one who had perpetrated the attack on the United States in 9-11. He was willing to lay his life down so that the darkness might be snuffed out. But when God sent his only son into the world, it wasn't that he thought, well, maybe there's a, a 10% chance that he survives. When Jesus agreed with the father, it wasn't that he had the, the feeling that, well, we'll see how this goes. No, he knew that going to snuff out the darkness meant not going to condemn all of the people with darkened hearts in the world. Not to take a rifle to every person who was a sinner with his condemnation. But when God sent his only son into the world, it was so that Jesus might become the condemned. And that was known from the very outset that Jesus would die. And so you see the depth of the father's love and that he was willing to give his own son so that we would not perish, but have eternal life what does it mean then that God did this, that He so loved the world that He would give His only Son? Well, it meant that Jesus would go to the cross and that He would bear the wrath of God. You recall that the sun was turned into darkness. It was blotted out as Jesus was there on the cross. The light of the world bore all of the darkness. He took on Himself. On that tree, the wrath of God that was due to sinners so that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish. He came as a substitute so that whoever would place their faith and their trust in him would not be condemned as he was. And of course, we know that his sacrifice was well-pleasing to the father because on the third day he was raised again. He was justified and in him, we are justified as well. So that again, whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. This is what your God has done for you. This is the light that has been sent into the world. And and you see in verse 19, uh, John reiterating this truth. He's summing up this statement. He says, this is the judgment that has come into the world. You want to summarize Jesus' work? You want to summarize the love of God being poured out upon us? You want to summarize what it means that God sent his son? It means that light came into the world. And if you go back to John chapter 1, uh, beginning in verse 4, you see that John summarizes the whole of his message this way. He describes Christ. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus came, he goes to the cross. It seems that the light had been snuffed out. And yet all that was snuffed out was the penalty due to us for our sin because the darkness could not overcome the light. And John chapter one, verse nine says this, the true light, which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So here he is, he's coming into the world. The love of God is being expressed because just as God had to speak in creation and there was light, so if there was going to be a new creation, so if there's going to be rescue from this gloom, God had to speak once again through the perfect revelation of his son. And then the question is, how is it that people respond? Well, again, there are two categories of response here summarized in verse 18. And if you are going to think about how it is that you respond, and if you're going to be persuaded to come to the light, you got to see what the options are. He says in verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But then secondly, on the other hand, Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. The response has to be either belief or unbelief. There's no other category. Jesus Christ is the dividing line of history. There are ultimately two races of people. There are those who recognize their sin and they place their faith and their trust in the work that God has done, and there are those who flee from it, and they love the darkness rather than the light. And so the following verses then go on to flesh this out for us, and we want to look first of all at those who are unbelieving. You'll notice uh, what they're like, and then we can see why they do the things that they do, but we see something of their Uh, what characterizes them here in verse 19. First of all, they don't believe and they are condemned already. So if you're not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is not that you will be condemned someday. You are actually right now sitting under the wrath of God. Paul expresses this truth in Ephesians chapter 2 as well. If you are not believing, you are right now, even as we speak, under God's wrath and curse. This is a weighty thing, dear friends. And then we see in verse 19 that this is the judgment. And that word for judgment, as a lot of commentators point out, has an interesting root in the Greek. It's a word that sounds like this, "crisis," which sounds like what English word? Crisis. Here's the Crisis. Here's the great problem. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light. Just like those bats, they want to get away because they're dead in their trespasses and sins and they know their guilt. They know they can't stand before a holy God and they just want to recede into the crevices and they just wish that God would not see them. Sometimes when you're listening to a sermon and the spirit of God begins to reveal his truth to you in particular ways, and we know that God, the Holy Spirit does this, there can be a profound sense of guilt that comes upon a particular person. I've been there and maybe you have been too, where all of a sudden, you know that the preacher is talking to you and you're pretty sure that everybody else in the room knows that the preacher is talking to you. And you sit as still as you possibly can because you figure if you even flinch, everybody's gonna know you're somehow under conviction. And that's exactly what is going on. This verse says, if you look at the end of verse 20, it says that a person's works end up being exposed. And that uh, word for exposed is the same place from which we get the idea of conviction. That is what conviction is. It is to be exposed, to be found bare and naked before God. And you're left saying, "I, I gotta deal with this somehow. And if you're in unbelief, what are you going to do? You're going to turn around and you're going to run away. And you're going to, maybe the only prayer you utter is God make this service stop as fast as you possibly can. Or get me away from this holy and pious person that I know is a believer if I happen to be in a discussion with them somewhere through the week. Or Lord, don't let the preacher come talk to me even with small talk afterward because I just want to get away from him or anybody else that I think might have something to do with God. This has been your experience, isn't it? Maybe that's been the desire of your heart, or maybe you've engaged with a number of people who have that posture. There is real stuff going on here, folks. Today, and at other points in history, because we all know that we have eternity in our hearts. It's been placed there by God, and no one can escape. There may be some of you who are watching on live stream, And you, you hope that nobody else knows, right? You're there behind the camera and you feel safe. Let me tell you, God sees you and you're not safe, but it's good that you're here. We, if we are unbelieving are in this condemned position because of not believing in the name of God's only son. And these kinds of people, they love the darkness rather than the light. And the question is why? And the answer is there at the end of verse 19 because their works are evil. And everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his works should be exposed. This is why unbelievers so often respond in violent kinds of ways. They want to suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness, they want to turn out the lights. If you've ever had the fun of pulling the prank of going into a room where it's uh, dark and somebody's asleep, you know you flip on the light or maybe if you wanna be even more cruel, you take a flashlight right up to their eyes while they're sleeping and then you flip the thing on and uh, what do they do? Well, they try to kill you, right? Because they love darkness in that particular moment more than they love light and they certainly don't love you. But this is what God has done by giving his son, Jesus Christ. The light has come on. And the darkness never overcomes it. All people can do is flee like roaches when the light is flipped on. And uh, it's it's true that people flee. But it's also true that you might find yourself in this particular place right now where you feel that sentence of condemnation. And you're not really ready to acknowledge that. But you want to know more. Now, we lost our oldest member here just a week ago, Ann Thompson, 99 years old, and uh, these flowers here are in uh, honor of her life, and we're thankful for God's grace in her life. Uh, but she grew up going to church, being a fairly uh, ordinary American, as she puts it, and uh, she, in the early days of their marriage, saw her husband be transformed by the power of God through the scripture. And uh, she figured she was a good enough person. She was getting to heaven. She didn't really need to go to the extreme measures that he was going to. But she said, I I thought, I'll just wait and see if this change actually holds. And uh, sure enough, the change did hold. He started reading scripture with their family every night. He, He was home with the family on Friday nights. He was tucking the children into bed and he was memorizing scripture. And speaking to others about it and she said you know when he would go to work then i'd go get his bible out because she knew he wasn't looking then and in the front of his bible was where he had all the verses that he was memorizing and she from the the darkness began to explore those little rays of light and she read from Romans three twenty three, how all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and she said I knew that was true but I figured my good deeds would outweigh my bad deeds that was all I really needed to get but then she was condemned when she read Ephesians 2 8 and 9 and she saw that it's uh, by grace that we've been saved through faith and this not of ourselves not a result of works, so that no one could boast and that was where the Lord brought this conviction upon her such that she could see that there was nothing she could do but in her testimony what verse did she quote then she quoted john 3:16 or parts of it that god had so loved her she realized the truth of his word that he had given his only son and that all she needed to do was acknowledge her broken condition her lost state the guilt of her sin And to cast herself upon Jesus Christ. And she lived from 1959 onward. And you know what? She lives even today to the glory of God because she trusted in God's one and only Son. And that's the difference, dear friends, between condemnation and eternal life. And if he did it in 1959, he can do it in 2022. So if that's where your heart is, like Anne's, peering on from the outside, wondering, Jesus says, you just come. You come to the light. You hear my voice. You read my word. You look at what I've done. You look at me lifted up there upon the tree, and you will have life. And when we look to Jesus... And when we understand who we are, but more significantly who he is, all of a sudden, the light goes from being terrifying to being beautiful. And we are drawn to him. And that's what verse 21 here describes then. It describes the sort of person who loves the light what is it that they do and why do they do it? Well, they're, they're drawn to the light. Whoever does what is true comes to the light because perfect love at this point has cast out all fear. And you recognize that Jesus actually can deal with your sin. See, this is part of the reason we tend to be dishonest is we think that there's nothing that could actually resolve our guilt other than that we would keep it hidden. We would keep it tucked away. We know, of course, if we're honest with ourselves that that will never work. But when we see Jesus for who he is, what we begin to understand is that we can actually take all of the baggage of our sin, all of our guilt, everything that Pilgrim had in Pilgrim's Progress, children, as he bore that weight upon his back, he could take it all to the cross and he could know that his shame and his fear and his powerlessness and his sin and his inability all of those things, he could actually trust it to Jesus because Jesus would take it all away. And this is what Anne experienced, right? She didn't just pray that prayer once and for all, but she wrote in her testimony about how she had to come to believe every day and to see that she could trust her Lord, who is light, to guide her at every step along the way so that she could do her works clearly in the light and that they would be seen that they are uh, uh, done uh, in God. Well, uh, the believer comes to the light. And and how is it that we come to the light? We need to think about this. Well, we look to Jesus by faith, right? That's the essence of believing. But what else is it that we do? We know that the Lord is our light and our salvation, as we have said. So what do we want to do? We want to hear his word. Uh, God's word is a light to our feet. It's a lamp to our path. How is it that we're going to be guided through the whole course of life? Well, we're going to go to the word of God. We're also going to recognize that everything that's good and true and profitable in God's creation is some reflection of his being. And so when we go to school, children, what are we trying to do? We're trying to grow as we learn. Uh, When we come to the truth, not only builds our faith, but it causes us to grow. Some of you are learning about photosynthesis, or you probably will this year at various grade levels in science. And what happens when the sun shines, which direction do the plants tilt? They move toward the sun because they're taking the nutrients from the sunlight and they're turning them into food for themselves. And this is why the leaves turn green and they prosper. It's because they love the light and they want to grow toward it. And so those of you, whether you're in a university setting or whether you're in a lower grade or whether you're learning new things at, at, uh, at home or at work, as we grow and as we see the light more clearly, we begin to flourish. And so our trust in God doesn't simply resolve our guilt. It causes us to spring up in even fuller ways into eternal life. And we begin to flourish the way that God has designed us to flourish. So we go to God's word and we go to his creation and we, we see the truth of who he is as is consistent with his revealed word. And we go to uh, be with his people in church. John would write later in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That There's a beauty that comes as we walk honestly with one another. We have the freedom to confess our sins to one another and to know that as we do confess our sins to one another, there is uh, the, the knowledge of God's forgiveness that we experience not only directly from him, but we're reassured of this by the people of God. Ray Ortland says this, the most important a personal trait in a gospel culture is honesty. And he quotes from John 1, 7. If we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And he says, in the context, walking in the light is an honest relationship with Jesus and one another so that we're free. So that we're free. So that we have life. We're not encumbered by that guilt, but we're able to be transparent with our brothers and sisters. So what does it mean for you to come to the light? Well, it means to come to Jesus Christ. And it means to come to the family of God in public worship it means to come into fellowship with other people so that your life can be exposed to them and you might experience more of the grace of God and then we also experience it as uh, we come to the light it'll be clearly seen that our works have been carried out in God there's an evangelistic focus here because Jesus is the true light that has come into the world and what happens then in the hearts of his people well we're kind of like glow sticks or something. You know, we get near the light and the, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ fills us. And when we go forth, it becomes clearly seen that everything we do is done in God. Now, does this mean that the world is going to love us and say, wow, I see the revelation of God uh, to me in you and it's beautiful. No, what are they probably going to do? They're probably going to turn around and run away from you. Or they might attack you because when your works are done in God it puts them on edge so if you stand in our culture for things like the truth of biblical sexuality and identity if you stand for life and against the killing of the unborn or the born others may look at you like you're crazy if you have seen the light and you know that God has called you to fill the earth and to rule over it and to subdue it, they may see young mothers who are staying at home and giving up their careers and they may scorn you for it. If others of you are giving yourselves in your particular calling to, uh, to, to things that just seem worthless in the world's eyes, they may look at you and say, you could probably make a lot more money doing something else. And yet you know that everything you're offering is simply a gift being given back to God, what you can know is this, that though the world may condemn you, your God doesn't. And what does he do? He shines the light of his countenance upon you so that you might know his smile. And if you were here for the funeral, you, you heard the testimony of what happened in Anne's life as she was uh, breathing her last. She uh, died a slow death and it was, uh, it was beautiful to see the Lord with her. She'd been unconscious and basically without expression. And as she took her final breath, she broke into a broad smile. Her eyes didn't open and she didn't take another single breath. What did she see? We don't know exactly. But what we do know from the scripture is that she, as the child of God, saw the light of God shining upon her, the smile of God and his countenance ready to receive her into eternal glory. And that is not something you would run from, dear brothers and sisters. When your life is ultimately on the line, what is it that you long for? You long to be received by the loving arms of your God into his presence for all of eternity. So my desire for you today is that you would come to the light. That you would see the expansive and the deep and the broad love that the eternal God, the triune God has for people like you. You matter in his eyes. And he has sent his son into the world the true light so that you might know his gracious love and let me tell you the worst thing you could do right now uncomfortable as you might be would be to turn and to run away rather join the throng and come to the savior who gives life and he doesn't just give it to you in that moment as we've said but he will give you his light so that you can do all of your works in god with great confidence and boldness whether in your academic work or your work in the home or your work in the community and in commerce, wherever the Lord puts you, you can know that his light will shine through you even as his face shines upon you. And when that day comes for the Lord to take you home, you will see his smile and you will smile as well in response with great joy and gladness. As he says to you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the love that you have shown to us in giving us the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, we know that we're people who need to turn to you and that there are those who do and those who don't. And we thank you that you bring that to pass through the proclamation of your glorious word. Lord, we pray that you would not allow people to love darkness more than light. We know that those who love their sin more than they love you, they don't receive your forgiveness. But Lord, we pray that you would give us those kinds of changed hearts where we would just say, I want to jettison all of this so that I might know him. Lord, would you send forth your light and your truth into the hearts and lives of people even this day? And would you encourage us? And would you inspire us and cause us to long to come more and more to the light through all the days of our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.